ECU? Do you breathe purple and gold? Are you ready to hoist the colors? Now, time for the most in-depth look at the world of ECU athletics. Welcome in to Hoist the Colors with your host, Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game. Watch the show live on Facebook and at 94.3thegame.com. Now, here's your host, Stephen Igo. All right, welcome into the show on this Monday. We are into October. The month of October has arrived. East Carolina, unfortunately, coming off another tough loss at Rice over the weekend in Houston, Texas. They fall 24-17. It is a reaction Monday here on Hoist the Colors. That means, as always, we are taking your questions, your comments, your concerns, all of the above, anything you want to say. We will listen to it and we'll react to it. And another difficult loss for the Pirates. They dropped to one and four. We'll head into the bye week this week with really kind of searching for answers with the situation offensively right now. And then we'll talk about the defensive mistakes as well. But the offense is the story. It's just been painful. ECU actually outgained Rice by well over 100 yards. To be quite honest, should have won the football game. And just had issues executing in the red zone. Two empty red zone trips. You had the holding penalty that led to the pick right before the end of the first quarter. And then, of course, everybody knows the first series of the second half, you get first and goal from the three or four after a big Josiah Hatfield play, and you can't punch it in on fourth and inches. You end up getting stuffed at the goal line. So that ended up being the difference in the game. ECU loses 24-17. If you make those plays and you're two and three, ECU and everybody's in a good mood right now. Those plays were not made, and East Carolina now sits at one and four and has to find a way to go five and two over their final seven games just to become bowl eligible. So again, it's a reaction Monday. We're going to read your comments. We got several of them as we often do after a loss on uh, social media, on Twitter, X, whatever they call it now. If you do want to call in, you can do that as well. Two five two five six one. 8255. Philip Pilkington back in the studio. He will answer the phones and get you on the air. We're also taking your questions on Facebook and YouTube. So a uh, lot to do in the next hour. All right. Philip Pilkington, you were able to follow the game back from the studio. Your thoughts on how it went uh, from your vantage point. I was in Houston, so I'll give my takes here in a little bit before we get into the, the, the comments and the questions uh, online, but just kind of want to get your assessment as well on this reaction Monday. You know, I thought play in and play out, it was the best the Pirates had looked probably in an FBS game at least. Um, you know, you kind of alluded to some of the stats there where we uh, outgained them by over two hundred or over 100 yards. Um, first downs almost doubled them up. Uh, lack of penalties. For once, and Rice, the team who commits a lot of or doesn't normally commit a lot of penalties, did commit a lot of penalties, as well as winning the time of possession by almost ten minutes. And when you look at those things, and you looked back at the game, like I said, play in and play out, it was pretty smooth. It just came down to the big moments inside the red zone, late in the game, the five or six plays that define a football game. None of them went the way of East Carolina, and those are the plays you got to make because, look, they're tight games. More games you have to view it are going to be tight than are not going to be tight. And um, when you blow a team out, you know, it's okay just to rely on play in and play out. But the problem is it was a tight game. You're playing an evenly matched opponent, so you've got to make the big plays when they matter most, and it didn't seem like that happened on Saturday. This is really now the second game where East Carolina in the fourth quarter – 
obviously had a chance to win it. Marshall being the other one realistically, and you just don't make the plays to get it done. So that's what's most disappointing. And, and this is a different game because ECU, to me, and being there, I took I took photos on the first half or in the first half from the field. ECU was the better football team, and they were more talented. You know, the only area I saw ECU struggle talent-wise with Rice was its offensive line against Rice's defensive front. That was a mismatch, and that's a big mismatch. But still, East Carolina – outgained them, outplayed them for most of the day outside of those plays that Phillip mentioned. And that's what makes it so frustrating. The other thing that makes it so frustrating is you go to these games and you see nobody cares about the team ECU's playing, Rice in Houston. We were at a, a bar up the road about a block away from the stadium about three or four hours to kick off, just kind of taking in the atmosphere. I was talking to you guys on the pregame show, Phillip, and nobody, you know, outside of the bartender, she was wearing a Rice uh, shirt. Nobody in the bar other than that even knew a Rice game was going on. You had Texas fans, you had Texas A&M fans, you had a few University of Houston fans. So you go to these cities, no one cares about Rice. They've got 5,000 people in the stands, if that. They don't even have their own band. And it's just frustrating for East Carolina fans to see that, see the lack of caring from these other teams in the league, like a Rice. And then East Carolina fans, obviously passionate. Not that fans decide what happens on the field, but you just feel like you shouldn't lose these types of games. And to be honest, ECU shouldn't have lost this game. They they also, you know, they're not 0-3 at Rice, so there's something to do with that as well. Skip Holtz, Ruff McNeil, and uh, Mike Houston have all now failed in their attempt to win at Rice in three tries. So it's just a weird place to play, but that just adds to the frustration as well. And being there and just seeing the Really, lack of any type of football culture uh, it makes it all the more frustrating, Philip. I know, you know, you weren't there, but f- what, what, you know, were you able to watch the broadcast at all? And how did the crowd come across on TV? Because I'll be honest, it was pretty sad. I was taking pictures of guys from the end zone, and I would take pictures of them, and then in the background, it was just empty bleachers, not a single fan in the stands. Their their student section was maybe eighty people deep, and uh, it just it was not a good atmosphere. Yeah, you know, the unfortunate thing is I can't hear what the crowd sounds like on TV because naturally I'm listening to Jim on the radio broadcast. But yeah, well, that's to your point. I would have, I didn't able to realize I couldn't hear anything, but I could watch it. And I noticed behind East Carolina's bench, you know, there were clusters of ECU fans. You can kind of tell those are probably the parents, those are probably the high up pirate club members. And then when you looked at the end zone, especially when they go to a replay and zoom in on a catch or on the quarterback, there was no one in the end zones. Every time they'd show Rice's bench, you could see that there were, I would say it was the most densely populated area was behind Rice's bench, but it still didn't look like it was half full. It still looked like there was more open seats than not. And to your point earlier, Stephen, that makes it really frustrating to lose these games because as people who grew up in North Carolina like you and I do, we see the passion. Yes, the Big Four have passion. Yes, East Carolina has passion. But even if you go to, say, Greensboro on a Saturday that North Carolina A&T is at home, and that is an FCS school. You, I think, have a lot more knowledge of the local people that the game is going on than you do for this FBS so-called Group of Five program that has no one in the stands. Like you said, you had people coming up to you asking, why are East Carolina fans in Houston? Well, because we're playing a game in three hours. What do you mean, why are we here? Uh, people know in much smaller venues across our state that there are games being played, and we're out here losing to teams that, yeah, in a state that is so predominant in football on top of that in Texas. It wasn't like we were in, you know, Alaska or 
California where they've got other crap to do. You know, we're in Texas. All they do is football. Except at Rice, it's all about the uh, the studies. Which hey, it's a great university. I'm not going to hate it. And the, the area around campus actually stayed right at Rice Village, and it was an awesome area. But football wise, not a just not not much support for the program, and it's it, that just makes it all the more frustrating. All right, East Carolina's offense actually outgained Rice by again a wide margin. I think they had around 393 yards of offense, and Rice had 277. So it wasn't a bad day from yardage. Still wasn't great considering Rice came into the game, giving up well over 400 yards per game. But the fact of the matter is this offense can't score right now, Phillip, against FBS competition. If you take out the Gardner-Webb game, which it was a 44-point showing, but really a lot of that was helped out by the defense. But still, if you take away that, if you take out the FCS game and you take away the two touchdowns that the defense scored against Appalachian State, the offense in the four FBS games is averaging 12 points per game. And you just can't win football in 2023 by scoring in the low teens. So, yeah, yeah, we've seen progress. I think there are players who are getting better. Um, you know, I asked Coach Houston after the game just realistically, hey, do you look at making changes to the offense? If it's going to happen midseason, which, I, you know, I have my – reservations about for a, a whole a lot of different reasons which we can get into but if, if you're going to make a change it would have to happen now in, in terms of in season and you know we haven't heard anything yet we sit here on a monday doing this show live at 12 noon so as far as that you know we'll, we'll keep an eye on that but 12 points per game you're through four fbs games now again you've played michigan which is undefeated you've played marshall which is undefeated uh, App State has two losses, but they, you know, they even gave up a ton of points to Louisiana Monroe this past weekend. They were able to win the game with a late kick, but Rice that struggled defensively, and you weren't able to score on them a whole lot. So, I just don't know if this offense really is going to have answers at any point this season right now. I mean, outside of going back to Mason Garcia, how much is that going to really change things? Because the offensive line is still struggling right now. The receivers had seven drop passes on Saturday. It's just uh, it's just a problem that really at every position outside of running back now. And I think that also goes to, you know, the, the offensive staff needs to be better as well. But I think their hands are tied. So it's just a, the offense right now I just don't really have an answer for. And I don't know if there is an answer in season right now, unfortunately, Philip. Yeah, you know, the one thing that I have seen that I'll really praise, especially when it comes to the passing game from where we were after the first two weeks, is the separation the wide receivers are getting, particularly the guys on the outside. And you look at the stats of Chase Sowell and Josiah Hatfield and how many targets they had and legit targets they had during this game. The unfortunate thing, though, like you said, is a lot of times they're getting open, they're dropping the football. And, look, drops are a part of the game. They're going to happen. But they're a part of the game one to two times a game, not seven to eight you can't times have a game. Seven drops. Yeah, yeah. I mean those those are negative plays in a way. Yes, you may not physically lose yards, but when you have the ability to pick up yardage and then you, you go zero, you throw an incomplete pass, like yes, incomplete passes are gonna happen. Sometimes the defense is going to have great coverage and co- force your quarterback to flush and throw it away. That's not what happened on these plays, and that has got to be the next step for these receivers, and it should be the easiest step, right? This is the thing that should be the issue maybe week one, and then it's done. Instead, the separation thing got fixed, which is a harder thing to fix because 
you've got to be physical. You've got to just be better than the guy across from you sometimes. And they are fixing the stuff that's hard to fix, and they're not fixing the stuff that's easy to fix. It's, it's, all you can do is laugh sometimes, uh, because it's that painful. And look, I'm sure the, the coaching staff is a hundred times more frustrated than we are. The receivers are not out there trying to drop the ball. After a while, it kind of becomes mental. I mean, Jalen Johnson had three drops during the game, according to Pro Football Focus, and he's a guy who should be your number one or two receiver. So it's just, I think after a while, that stuff gets in your own head. He's a better receiver than that, and he'll be the first to tell you that. And uh, it's just it's frustrating, man. But it was good to see Chase Sowell make some plays and uh, make make a contested catch, by the way, on the two-point conversion. We have not seen any of that this year, really, at least consistently. All right, let's get to some of your questions on Twitter. Steve, the Pirate, says we've had the same issues. Speaking to our points, we've had the same issues, he says, in all four games against FBS opponents. The offensive line has struggled to protect the quarterback. Wide receivers are, are dropping too many passes. Inexperienced quarterback mistakes, inconsistent running game, penalties. The defense gives up one or two home run plays a game. We are who we are. And, I, I mean, I can't disagree with any of that, to be honest. At this point, like you said, Philip, like a game or two, you can say, well, maybe you can correct these mistakes. But once you start getting to the halfway point of the season, which ECU's almost at, once you start seeing this big of a sample size, there are certain areas you can still improve. But after a while, it kind of becomes you are what your record are. You are what your record says you are, I should say. And the Pirates are one and four. Are there winnable games yet left? Yes, but I, I can't disagree with anything he says there. It's just, uh, you're having those same mistakes pop up each week. You are. And, I mean, I guess the one positive here is playing devil's advocate, because I do agree, is some of the things that have gone well, I think, have gone well each week. For example, you and I were talking about before the show, not a big day from Luke McCaffrey. They've done a really good job at shutting down the guy in which they've schemed for, and I think we'll get into that later, so I'll save some of his comments for later. So that's a big thing uh, that I will take from a positive. But, yeah, it's just where's the growth with the team, right? Like I mentioned the separation by the wide receivers. That's one little thing, but the penalties were better this week. But still, inconsistency moving the football. thought the run blocking was a little better. Rushing game looked a little better. But the quarterback thing, it's – I do think that's maybe improving a little bit, but yeah, inexperienced quarterback play is going to be something you get when you have two inexperienced quarterbacks. You know, I mean, very few guys come out and start out their college career just setting the world on fire. You know, not everyone has a Kellen Moore type college career where he's winning from the first day and, and does it for four years. It's not realistic. So yeah, I, I think it just comes down to just, I don't even know. It's, it's got to the point where it's work on. The puppy's got to work on everything. That's that's like the frustrating part. It's like, what do you focus on in practice? Because at least offensively, I can, we kind of know what it is defensively, right? The home run plays. Like we're shutting down them, yeah. playing and play out. But uh, you got to run block better. You definitely got to pass block better. I mean, these quarterbacks, they are experienced. They can't be thrown off their back foot. Receivers, I don't know. You got to run the tip drill. Maybe they need to go work out with the DBs and run the tip drill so they can catch the ball better. I, I just don't know at this point. I mean, literally, it's everything. You got the quarterback. Which I think Flynn, all things considered, Flynn is, I don't think Flynn's the problem. I mean, I don't think Garcia's the problem either, but they are making that one or two big mistake. You know, the Flynn pick, that's a back-breaking mistake you can't make in that situation. And, you know, I, I think he'll learn from it because he's playing for the first time, but you can't force that ball there. But then when you do get a open receiver, then somebody misses a block up front. Or, you know, there was a play, I think, in the fourth quarter where they hit Hatfield, 
on some type of uh, crossing route, and if Chase Sowell could have made the block on the perimeter, he may have scored a touchdown. He misses the block. He goes for no gain. There's plays in the run game where either the running back misses the cut or there's a missed block. Uh, the quarterback draw they called. If you go back and watch it on third and eight, I'm not a huge fan of that call, but if it's blocked correctly, it's a first down. I mean, there's just so many things with the offense from an execution standpoint at each position. And, you know, two, the, the offensive staff can put these guys in better positions to make plays. So the offense, look, it's a mess right now. Uh, there's no other way to put it. When you're averaging 12 points a game, it, it's bad. I mean, I, at this point in the season, I think, I, you know, we all know that. The coaching staff knows it. They're working hard on fixing it, but you got to be able to score points. Brad says watching our offense is like watching a train wreck in slow motion for four quarters. And I, something I will say about the offense, you know, when you're on the field shooting pregame, I do think a lot of this goes back to confidence and belief. And, yeah, that's kind of a, you know, that cliche thing to say, but – Pre-game taking photos, like when I watch the defensive players warm up, they're they're juiced up, they're intense, they're getting each other pumped up. Now, part of this is like playing defense. you got to have a different mindset. I understand that. But even the defensive coaches, you can kind of see like a certain mentality on that side of the ball. And you go watch the offense warm up, and I don't necessarily see that same mentality. And a lot of that goes back to inexperience, lack of success, Outside of Rajay Harris, I don't really see a big-time vocal leader on the offensive side of the ball right now. And I think when things go bad, they struggle to get out of that rut. And I think it's just a lack of confidence right now on that side of the football due to the performance and due to the inexperience and, you know, just, you know, what's going on with that offensive side of the football right now, whether it be, you know, they're wanting to be put in better positions as players or just not having confidence in what they're doing. I don't know. But something's clearly missing. And, uh, you know, I want to see that killer instinct on the offensive side of the ball. I don't know who needs to do it, but I see it on defense. I see it from the D-line. I see it from the linebackers. I see it from the corners and safeties. Like, they go into a game knowing they're good enough to win. The offense right now, they don't look that same way. So until that changes, ECU is not going to have success on offense consistently. All right, let's get our first break in. We'll come back. We'll read more of your comments. We've got a lot of people tuned in on YouTube, on Facebook, and we'll get to that on the other side. You're listening to Hoist the Colors on the Reaction Monday. The Pirates play here. Arr! This is Hoist the Colors Radio with Stephen Igo. Yes, that was so good. On 94.3, the game. All right, welcome back to the show. This reaction Monday, October 2nd. It is a bye week for ECU, but we're recapping a disappointing 24-17 to loss to Rice in Houston. Really leaves a sour taste in the mouth going into the bye. Philip Pilkington back in the studio. He's producing. we got a lot of people tuned in on YouTube and Facebook. A lot of good comments, and uh, we'll get to those here in a second. I wanted to run through a lot of these people that chimed in on X over the weekend. And so I'm going to run through these comments again. Keep your uh, suggestions rolling in the Facebook and YouTube chats. We'll get to those. Uh, Brooks on X, he says, it's obvious we don't have the horses and or the coaches to play in this league, which is sad year five, and this is where we're at. Who is allowing the Sneeds, the C.J. Johnsons, et cetera, to get a bad advice to leave for the NFL early when clearly they're not ready and never make a team? Yeah, I mean, those are just family members, people in their corner, and a lot of times – if you have your degree, like in Tyler Sneed's case, they're just ready to move on. In CJ's case, I guess he was ready to give the NFL a shot, and that you know seems to have not worked out to this point. I think he is still under contract with the XFL, but 
you know, that hurts. And uh, you also got some guys who moved on via the portal. Uh, Natalie, for example, says solution is to emphasize local Eastern North Carolina recruits who want to have always wanted to play at ECU and, two, got to build a good O-line and retain those guys with a good O-line. You can make the most average quarterback look good. I mean, that sounds good in theory, and I appreciate the comment, but, all right, you bring in Nashad Strother from Havlock. You bring in Avery Jones as a transfer from Havlock. Those two players are offensive linemen from Eastern North Carolina. They have success. What do they do? They transfer out with one year of eligibility. Your offensive line would look a lot better if those guys stuck around. They go on. They get paid via NIL means through other universities at their new schools, Oregon and Auburn, respectively. So it sounds good in theory, but it's a lot easier said than done. I will continue to hit this home. I know nobody wants to hear this when you're one and four, but you got to continue to invest in NIL. Everybody wants to know how Duke got so good overnight. Well, they have $5 million in NIL money to spend in football alone. Uh, obviously, Mike Elko is doing a great job there, but they also have a lot of NIL money to help attract and retain talent. I mean, that is a large part of college football now. So ECU fans got to continue to invest in that uh, long term. If you want to get a quarterback from the transfer portal, you're going to have to pay. I mean, that's just the reality right now probably a minimum of $100,000. So these things are the reality, and uh, you know that is a big side of, uh, of college football right now. So we'll get more into that discussion, I think, towards the latter half of the season. We're going to try to get somebody back on from Team Boneyard here in a little bit uh, just to kind of discuss the importance of continuing to grow that in a crucial time in uh, Pirate football history. Pirate Treasure NC on Twitter says, I was willing to give the Michigan game a pass because of their level this season. But App State, Marshall, and Rice, I am not. Inexcusable, poor offensive play from the quarterbacks, drop passes from the receivers, poor blocking defense, can't seem to not give big plays. Yeah, kind of the same story we discussed there in segment one. Dennis with an interesting point. He says, you can make a, a case this is the worst loss of the Mike Houston era. We needed this one in a bad way to gain momentum for conference play. I still like a lot of the talent on our team, but not having a true number one quarterback will be our downfall, which falls on coaching. And a lot of comments about how if they knew Mason and Alex maybe weren't going to be the guy, they should have gone out and got a, a portal quarterback. We've talked about that as well in past shows. Hindsight's twenty twenty, but it's definitely costing them now. And and I really, Philip, after watching this offense for five games, you know, and somebody asked earlier, JT Daniels, is there any truth to the rumor JT Daniels was considering ECU when he was in the transfer portal? You know, I heard mixed things on that, that he looked at ECU, but I don't know if he was ever serious about coming here or not. He's a West Coast guy. I don't know if he wanted to, to come to ECU, but either way, I, I have not confirmed that he was actually considering coming to ECU. He may have reached out. But either way, my point is, with what I've seen out of this offense, you would have had to have gotten gotten an elite quarterback and a quarterback who's mobile to run around with the pressures ECU's given up. Everybody wants to point to Alex Flynn. Well, he was pressured on 50% of his dropbacks and seven drop passes. Think about how much that affects your numbers at the end of the day. I, I really don't think quarterback is the biggest problem. Yes, if you had an experienced quarterback, you could probably clean some things up right now just due to that. And if you had an elite-level quarterback, he could probably make some throws or some runs that would overcome these issues. But I still think the quarterback right now is not the biggest problem with this offense. I think offensive line, receiver, and just, you know, offensive identity is really killing this team right now. Philip, how about you? 
Yeah, I think so. And the numbers that you just brought up, you know, kind of back that up. When you're under pressure half of the time, look, good quarterbacks can throw under pressure, no doubt. But 50% of the time is just an unrealistic number to be effective. And how many drops was it? You said this week seven, correct? Seven drops and 50% in pressure. Like, no quarterback can succeed with that. No, and when you look, he was 21 of 44. With seven drops, so let's let's go with a realistic number. Let's the receivers are human. We're not going to make them perfect. We're going to make them pretty good. We're going to give them two drops. So you get rid of five of those. He's now twenty six of forty four. That's a pretty good completion percentage. Twenty six of forty four. Let's do that math real quick because can't do that in my head. That's sixty percent. So or fit right at fifty nine percent. If you can do sixty percent completion percentage in college football, that is about the norm for a solid quarterback. And then you know maybe you take one or just one or two of those pressures away. You know maybe those are some balls he threw away that he then completed. So maybe those are you know a couple more completions there. So yeah, is look are Alex Flynn and Mason Garcia the the best options in the country? No. Are they the flashiest, most experienced options? No. But to your point, Stephen, I think there's bigger problems. And if they were out there and they had all day and they were spiking stuff in the dirt, you know, if they looked like how everybody thought Zach Wilson was going to look last night, obviously he didn't, uh, you know, and they're just throwing interceptions. That's one thing. But we saw like, even a guy like Zach Wilson last night, when you give him time to throw the football and the receivers get separation, I thought he looked pretty darn good. Now, obviously, he's an NFL quarterback that's different, but these guys, there's a they're D1 quarterbacks for a reason, but you, you've got to give them the tools around them to succeed, and I just don't know if they, either one of these guys has it right now. Yeah, I mean, if you could go out and sign a, a true five-star mobile quarterback that's proven at the D1 level and he could run around and make some amazing plays, that's that would be great. But, you know, there's only 10 of those guys in the country, and it's going to be very hard to get them at East Carolina. Um, you know, I think Mason Garcia has the higher ceiling, but I think he needs a, a good supporting cast right now to help him out, and I don't know if that's there right now. So, you know, there's some comments, hey, Mason should see the field now. We kind of know what Alex Flynn is. I still think Flynn has room to improve. He's playing with an injured shoulder. That's not helping things. Uh, maybe this bye week gets him feeling better. But, yeah, I mean, I that that's the coaches. That's what they get paid hundreds of thousands of millions of dollars to do. I do think Garcia has a higher ceiling, and if at some point this season goes off the rails completely and you're not able to reach eligibility, you got to at least find out if you have the quarterback of the future on the roster. you got to figure out what offensive pieces can help you moving forward. Uh, Alex Flynn does have a year of eligibility left. He is intending to go to med school uh, when, when he chooses to, so you know that could factor into the decision. But also Garcia – has two years of eligibility left uh, as well. People saying Raheem Jeter should play. Look, I've seen Raheem Jeter practice a lot, and he still has a long, long way to go. So I don't think Raheem Jeter is the answer right now. I think in time he could be a very good player. You know, if you want to throw him out there towards the end of the season, that's fine. But if you throw him in there with this situation, offensive line and quarterback, I'm just telling you all, it would be a much <laughs> – it would be a, a very bad disaster. Uh Considering, you know, the fact he's a freshman quarterback, he's still learning the system, he's still cleaning up some mechanical things. So I just don't see that as the answer right now, uh, offensively. So I think it's Garcia or Flynn, and you kind of see what happens from there. You continue to try to make incremental improvements right now. All right, let's get back to some of your comments on social media. 
Justice says, realistically, we are going 1-11 or 2-10. Does Mike Houston lose his job in this scenario? If so, who we look to hire? Look, I don't think ECU realistically is going 1-11 or 2-10. I mean, they just outplayed Rice. They lost the game, but it's not like they went out there and got beat 50-10 to against a bad Rice team. So, I mean, there's still possible wins left on the schedule. Charlotte, they'll be favored. Tulsa, they'll probably be favored. They could win at FAU. They could win at Navy. Uh, you know, SMU is going to be favored, but I mean, that's not an unwinnable game. So like to say they're going to go one 11 or two and 10, I don't think realistic either way. Mike Houston is not, I don't see a scenario where he's going to not be back. I mean, he's signed through 2026. He's owed 1.4 million of base salary each of those years. That's $4.2 million. ECU does not have that money. So, and, and I don't think Mike Houston should be let go. I think there were some mistakes made in the evaluation process of the, whether it be the quarterback position or the offensive personnel. I think there's been recruiting misses on the offensive side of the ball. I think you're, sh- you're looking at that now, but you look at the defense. I think you got a lot of young guys playing at a high level right now. If you can retain that side of the football this offseason and if you can fix the offense and get a quarterback, whether it's somebody in the program now or bring in somebody and find some offensive pieces to build around, you can be a good football team quickly right now. So, I mean, I I think the foundation is still there. This is not a terrible football team. You know, the defense is already in a good spot, and you're playing with a lot of guys who have eligibility remaining. So the big key is going to be retaining guys. I mean, this is a conversation more for the offseason, but I'm just, you know, if you're one and four, you still got seven games left. I know it's frustrating. I know people want to look at the schedule. This is what we do, Philip. Hey, I'm a Broncos fan. Denver wins one game, I'm like, well, maybe they can get back into this playoff race. But when they lose a game, you're like, oh, can we win another game on the schedule? You know, the reality is they're somewhere in the middle there. You're not going to go 1-11. and And just like Denver is probably not going to be back in the playoffs in the NFL. That is true. And, hey, real quick, we do have Richard on the line, by the way. So we'll, we'll go to him before okay. we get to my, my, my uh, opinion on that. Is this Richard Powell? Yep. Yes, sir. What, what's up, man? Much, much. Uh, appreciate y'all having me on. But yeah, I have a few questions. I agree with you. I do believe Mike Houston. He's definitely what four and eight first year, three and six, seven and five, eight and five. Brand a transition piece right now, having a little some bumps in the road. But um, for 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 me, so let's say for instance, I was just at the Colorado versus USC game this past weekend and seeing the difference of the hype and the pride compared to ECU. Just you know, um, seems like a lot. People are down and having to, you know, five, four or five teams leave to go to the Big 12. We're basically Conference USA 2.0 again. And this is a bad time for us to be losing these games. At what point can we say, let's just go ahead and get our, our younger guys all the experience to look forward to the next year? Like, what do you think will be a, a transition time like that? Uh, I think so. First off, to your first point, unfortunately, ECU has a bad habit as a football program of having some of their worst years at the most critical times in conference realignment. So that, you know, that's frustrating. Uh, That's a whole different conversation. But as far as your second point, Richard, I think you're reaching that point now in the bye week where you start to discuss, hey, is our senior receiver who's, you know, maybe not performing his capabilities. I'm just using this as an example. Maybe it's time yep. to, to give our freshman or sophomore a shot. Um, it's one of those things where during a bye week, you could see some personnel changes. The other f- side of it is, too, you know, the coaches, 
we just had this conversation about how maybe ECU, you know, what if they go one and eleven, two and ten? They're looking at as how do we get this next win? And until bowl eligibility is out the door, they're going to look at it as we got to put our best players on the field to have us the, the capability to reach bowl eligibility. So for me, when the bowl game is not a reality in terms of they have more than six losses, I think that's when you could see real wholesale personnel changes. Because at that point, you truly are playing for the future. And in some ways, you can play for the future and still try to win now. But um, I think that is a conversation for when you have more than six losses, if that occurs. Right. And and uh, last thing for me, you're talking about C.J. Johnson, for instance, who left early, Key Mitchell being another example. To me, it's like, did they have kind of a, an instinct? They kind of figured this year might be a down year. That's why they're going to try to leave while they're on the top uh, game. That, that's one thing to think about also, I think, for the players that left early this previous year. Yeah, I mean, that's a fair point. And, too, like a lot of those guys came in together or, you know, especially like Holden, CJ, that whole class came in together. And, you know, Keaton, I think I think Keaton's – look, it was time for him to go. I mean, he had played three years. He wasn't going to raise his stock a whole lot. So, mm-hmm. But that could play a role either way. Offensive line-wise, you were losing four starters – I think he yeah. can still make some big runs out there, just given his talent level this year. But uh, that, I think he made the right decision to go. CJ, I, I don't know if he did or not, but he had played four years and he was ready to move on. So it just kind of is mm-hmm. what it is, unfortunately. Right. All right. Well, hey, I appreciate y'all uh, letting me on, and you know, I'm always looking and uh, appreciate everything y'all do. And I says, roll pirates. Appreciate it, Richard. Good to hear from you, man. Yeah, if you want to call in, 252-561-8255. Again, 252-561-8255. we got to get our second break in. We'll come back. We'll continue to roll through your comments, questions on this Reaction Monday. Climb aboard as we set sail and hoist the colors. Ah-ha-ha-ha-ha-ha-ha-ha-ha-ha-ha-ha-ha-ha-ha-ha-ha-ha-ha-ha-ha-ha-ha-ha-ha-ha-ha-ha-ha-ha-ha-ha-ha-
a bad job of talent evaluation in the spring. I'm not sure how the coaching staff didn't see this coming with the O-line play, quarterback situation, and wide receivers. The fact they did not bring in a transfer quarterback and at least one wide receiver is nauseating. I mean, they they did bring in three receivers, and right now, outside of Chase Sowell, the other guys have not been able to deliver early this season. Uh, offensive line, they brought in multiple transfers. They maybe didn't hit on their top guys. A lot of this is NIO-related. A lot of the top receivers they tried to get went to places with more money. So again, if you want to, if you want to get impact guys in the transfer portal going forward, you got to have the money. That's just the reality of the situation, guys. You might can sneak and find a, a proven play or a playmaker down that's not proven that turns out to be a good player like Chase Sewell, barely played last year for Colorado. Young guy, but he's taking his lumps in terms of learning as well. So. Again, we had this conversation earlier, but you got to raise some money on the NIL front. The reason they got Isaiah Winstead the year before is because he had a connection to Latrell Scott. He had coached under him um, or played under him when Latrell Scott was a coach at Norfolk State, so you kind of had that connection helping you out. You're not going to be able to go out and get a 1,000-yard receiver each year in the portal so uh, with no money. That's just the reality of the situation. So, um David says, as a fan, I'm a bit disappointed on where we are today. I believe in the players and the coaches and the administrators. I do feel like we would take a step back on offense and in the wins and losses after the offseason. Nothing like this, though. Go Pirates. Yeah, I think that's, I mean, most people realistically thought the Pirates were going to take a step back offensively, but to the point where you're averaging 12 points a game against FBS competition uh, and really just looking like you don't have an identity on offense is the most disappointing thing. Back to YouTube, Pirate Mitch says we really need a rich donor to put up a few million to get some talent in here next year. If I had it, I'd do it. The next two years are critical. And uh, Richard follows up, says Mr. Beast and Vince McMahon got to donate. Harold Varner already gave his portion. Yeah, got you know, my, my thing is ECU, they're never going to be the richest school on the NIL front and you're never going to have the most talent, but you at least got to be at a point where you can be competitive. You know, I referenced Duke earlier, what they're doing with $5 million in NIL, maybe for ECU. If you can get to a million dollars in NIL each year, I think you can have a pretty good team and a team that can compete for AAC championships uh, in this league. How realistic that is, I don't know. Again, that's a conversation we'll have with some representatives of Team Boneyard in the coming weeks. A few more comments here on X. Uh, let's see. Richard says, I graduated 20-plus years ago. ECU was a good education, but let's be honest, it's not Ivy League. But what ECU taught me was to be scrappy, creative, work harder, and outsmart people. He says, I can't stand getting outsmarted. We seem to be getting outsmarted each week on the field right now. Matt chimes in. He says, one of four is a tough pill to swallow. There's blame to be shared everywhere from quarterback play to drop passes to play calling. But it's become clear the offensive line is just not good. This program is in good enough shape to rebound next year. Need to hit the portal hard is what he says. Uh, and then we got several comments that are basically uh, gifts of things that uh, represent uh, poor play. As pirate fans are frustrated here, and, and you know, Joshua Betts with an interesting comment, and I think it's fair. He says, "I think the season hinged on Mason Garcia being ready to step into Holton's cleats, continue the offense at a higher level, and that hasn't happened. 
Rightfully so, big playmakers left. He references Keith Mitchell, Ryan Jones, Isaiah Winstead, so it wasn't an easy task. So, and let's face it, too, Mason Garcia had a lot of pressure on his shoulders. He was a highly recruited player and a lot of expectations. He was kind of set up to be the guy, and you know, in a good way. I think they tried to prepare him to be the guy, and sometimes it's just not a linear process, and we kind of saw the, the struggles there. But I I've seen some people comment, Philip, as uh, I'll bring in Philip Pilkington here for his thoughts here, um, that they're already writing off Mason Garcia, and I don't think that's fair. I don't think it's fair to write off either of these quarterbacks, and I don't know if at some point ECU will go back to Garcia getting his chance to be the number one guy, which it feels like Flynn was that way this the past few weeks. But Mason, to me, I mean, he he basically only got the Marshall game to play the entire contest, and there were ups and downs, and since then it's kind of been Flynn's show, which is fine, but uh, I'm not writing off Mason Garcia yet, and I still think he'll, he'll have another chapter to write in his ECU career. Yeah, I think he will, and I 100% agree with you. You know, It may not be in the 2023 campaign, and it may be in the 2023 campaign, but you, know, you mentioned earlier in the show all of the issues. I guess I should just be blunt with it and call them issues because that's what they are with this offense. And when you are a quarterback who's never played at any given level, whether that's the varsity level, the collegiate level, the professional level, it's hard to adapt to the game when the offense has other issues. Now, we see it all the time with number one picks in the NFL, right? They don't look good right out of the gate. Look look at Peyton Manning's first 16 games when he threw 30 interceptions. And because the rest of the offense wasn't good, but it took the time to for the kids to, you know, develop. The problem is nowadays in sports, and uh, I was talking with our guy Dom earlier today, is everybody is in this we-want-to-win-now mindset. Fans, coaches, you know, administration, and it puts more pressure on these kids when they are in these situations, and it hurts them sometimes from succeeding. So I think Mason was thrown into a tough situation, and it's look, Holt Naylor's is impossible to, you know, be the guy who secedes him because he was like the prodigal son of Greenville and he set all the records. I couldn't imagine being in the shoes of Alex Flynn or Mason Garcia and you know neither one of them were probably 100% ready yet at the time but hey they got thrown to the wolves and because of that I think as long as Mason keeps his head on his shoulders and doesn't you know, let those setbacks, those minor setbacks define his career, then he will have another opportunity, and I believe someday he will succeed. Now, if he goes in there and lets what happened in the past define his whole career, he could very easily not have a future in a pirate uniform or any uniform. But uh, I think he'll be a mature, smart kid about this. You know, um, I think he's got great coaches around him. Coach Houston has seen situations like this before, and they will talk to him and, you know, wish him all the best, and, and hopefully it's, you know, in a pirate uniform at some point graham on facebook says holton threw under pressure his entire five-year career is an ecu thing and plenty of drops too and uh he's basically making the point you know flynn and garcia should be better you know i remember when holton was pressured and didn't have the help around him that people wanted to bench holton aylers because they thought he was a terrible quarterback it wasn't until 2021 2022 when the offensive line figured out how to, to consistently block people and they got some playmakers around them that Holton Aylers looked like the guy we are going to remember because of the way he finished his career. So there's a lot more to it, and uh, that, that's kind of how I feel about that. All right, let's get our final break in. We'll come back. We'll have closing thoughts and wrap up the show. This is a Reaction Monday on Hoist the Colors. 
Drive with Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game. Hoist the Johnny Roger! Now, back to Hoist the Colors. Okay, welcome back to this Reaction Monday. It is October 2nd. We're talking about East Carolina's 24-17 loss to Rice. And wanted to get a few more comments in before we get out of today's show. Jay on Facebook says the strength of our offense is the experience at running back, yet we seem to be centered around Harris and Bond. He says Marlon Gunn and Camaro Edmonds have talent. Also, Gunn showed he was good in space last year, made people miss. Why not adjust the offense around Garcia running and those guys running in swing passes with a lot of misdirection? Well, I mean, it's just hard to get more than one back on the field at the same time. You could have some two-back sets, but a lot of offenses just aren't designed that way. And we've seen some two-back stuff this year. The other factor of this also is Jay is Marlon Gunn just tweaked his hamstring, so he's not 100% right now, has not been for the past two games. That's why you haven't seen him. You know, Rajay is, is doing a really good job of being the number one back. I think he's a lot better than people give him credit for. Yes, he's not the home run hitter, but neither is Marlon Gunn. And, you know, neither is Camaro. Javius is that guy, but then there are times he's missed some cuts and he's got negative yards too as a young back. So, uh I would like to see more snaps for Bond, though, and I would like to see more snaps for, for Edmonds as well. You know, Rajay got the vast majority of the snaps this past weekend. I do like Rajay a lot. I just do wish they would rotate a little bit more back at times. But it's tough when you can only get one of those guys in for the most part at the game, uh, in the game at the same time. So, uh, it's just one of those deals where you got a lot of talent in that room, and maybe you could use Javius Bond more in the slot. We talked about some drops at receiver. Maybe an answer to that is using Bond in the slot more. Maybe that's something you can work on during the bye and uh, find a way to uh, to potentially get him the ball more there and also get Edmonds and Rajay and Gunn more snaps when Gunn is back healthy. So they have a glut of talent at running back, and they, in my opinion, lack talent at other spots. So maybe that's a way they can – figure out how to get more town on the field altogether at the same time. Well, Philip, we got a uh, we got a lot of comments that we're not going to be able to get to. We could have like a three hour show on Mondays and, and the good people the good thing is people care, man. And I know that some people said apathy's starting to set in with the one and four start, but you know, when I go to places like Rice, it reminds me how lucky we have it to cover a team where fans care. And uh, I know it's tough right now, but hang in there, pirate fans and uh, it'll it'll turn eventually, right, Philip? Oh, it definitely will. And you know, it, like you said, it does speak a lot to this fan base and, and just the magnitude of their appreciation for the team, their love for the team, because they could easily just be so bad that when we lose, they don't even care to comment. So, or don't care enough to comment. So, at least we have that. Like Panther fans now. Yeah, <laughs> they don't care. Those were the, just uh, the, yeah. fan, the ones of us who liked them before Cam came still care but the ones who jumped on the the camther fans has been used to call them yeah they don't care anymore all right he's philip pilkington i'm steven igo thanks to you guys for all the questions the comments we'll be back tomorrow at 12 noon with joseph sampson we'll continue to break down the loss in the bye week we got the coaches show tonight mike houston at tiebreakers live at six o'clock tune into that 94 through the game we'll talk to you tomorrow at 12 noon This has been Hoist the Colors with your host, Stephen Igo. Tune in weekdays at noon for all things ECU sports. Get a recap of the show at 943thegame.com on Twitter, Facebook, or anywhere you get your podcasts. We're back tomorrow with more of Hoist the Colors on 943 The Game.